0: What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. All right, good people, we're back with another episode of the M-W Tactical Podcast, and like always, I have my main man sitting next to me, the mad scientist. What's up, Dave? How's it going?
1: What's up, Mike? I've been home sick with the flu all week, but I'm still alive.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about you right now because it sounds like you got beat down. <laughs> I feel like I did. Man, that flu is nothing to mess with, you know? So one of my secret potions that I always tell people when they get sick is take a bottle of Powerade, get some emergency, put two packs of emergency in the Powerade and drink three bottles of that every day for about three days and you should be good.
1: I'm trying it. I just picked some up. I'm going to try it out. Yeah.
0: So like I said, after you do it, let me know how it works for you. And another thing I always tell people is to eat a, a lot of chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah honestly i believe that really works because i believe the sugar in the cookies of course get your blood flowing you know but then again you're either gonna have a stomach ache or a toothache <laughs> or something afterwards <laughs>
1: i think chocolate's supposed to have some antioxidants or something in it too isn't it yeah it's, yeah, it's
0: some type of a health kick with chocolate i'm not really familiar with it but i remember when i used to get a headache i either used to drink a soda or i would eat a chocolate bar like um snickers or you know three musketeers or hershey bar or something like that and it will get rid of the headache for a little bit
1: all right so i'm going to make some cookies after we're done here hey do it
0: <laughs> i'm telling you it's going to work man and then you're going to come back and be like man you got some crazy remedies but they work
1: <laughs> sometimes those crazy ones do work man yeah, yeah. i don't know The
0: only one I'm scared of doing is the one where you, like, pour some Bacardi and lemon and boil it. Whoa, I haven't heard that one. You never heard that one? Mm -mm. I I can't remember the exact recipe, but I know it's like you boil some Bacardi and, like, you're boiling the alcohol out of it. Okay. Then you put some lemon in it, uh, squeeze the lemon juice in it or something like that. And I can't remember if you mix it with something. I I'll call—I'll call my aunt because she was the one that um, used to say it all the time when I was younger. And supposedly, it will sweat the cold out of you, like if you got a cold or whatever it is. And you can't go outside for three days because all your pores are open.
1: I have been sweating, so um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, if so... you're sweating, something's working.
1: I don't know what. <laughs> It's uh, I've had to wash the sheets a couple times, man. I'll wake up soaking wet. I don't know what's going on. We'll see. Oh man, chocolate so, chip cookies are gonna help me though.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, chocolate chip cookies—they're gonna make you feel better, and then they're gonna <laughs> make you smile in the
1: process. <laughs> they're already making me smile, and I haven't even eaten any.
0: See, so there you go. That's the road to re- uh, recovery, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but all in all, seriousness though—that's. My secrets to when I get sick—that's exactly what I do: the Powerade and chocolate chip cookies.
1: All right. <laughs> going try it. Yeah, but
0: see, you're headed down to Florida this weekend for the Florida Open, right?
1: Yes, I am. I'm going to try to do that. Yeah, and
0: then carry a Ziploc bag with some cookies in it. Pop yep. one in, and you're going to be smiling. And then next thing you know, you're going to be winning. Yeah, that's it. You'll be <laughs> taking it by storm, all because of the cookies and the remedy.
1: <laughs> or I'm either gonna pass out on the range somewhere, yeah. But well, one or the other.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. But I think you'll be okay. I think you'll be all right. All right, hey. Um. So this week I want to talk about three different topics. Okay. Um, trigger press being one of them. Stage planning and target description, but not target description as you're thinking. I'm talking about but I'm going to surprise you with it when we talk just to get your opinion on it. Okay. All right. So trigger press, how do you press the trigger?
1: Um, I, I like to, um, well, I fit my trigger to allow me a clear wall um, where, where my trigger breaks so I can actually feel it. And I, I like to try and, uh, I think this most people refer to it as prepping the trigger. Mm. You'll you'll get your you know your finger on the trigger and you'll apply a slight amount of pressure right to, right before you get to the break. Like you're you're on the wall just before it breaks. And um, I'll try to do that when when you know when it's necessary, you know for for shots where accuracy is is of a higher importance than speed. Um, i will definitely do that prepping the trigger and just as you know at that point it doesn't take much of a, a gentle squeeze to, to further break the trigger um you know when when you're up close um you know like burner targets I, I don't really worry about that i just smash the trigger as fast as i can but you know with five to seven yard targets i'm not really worrying about prepping the trigger at that point but right That's kind of my two different trigger techniques, I guess.
0: Now, I do know from conversation with you, pretty much you can get a custom trigger made that goes the length of your hand, depending on how you grab the trigger. And, you know, like I got long fingers. And when I was talking to you, you expressed like you can order a trigger and you just rotate it and it either expands out or you know shrinks in, shrinks in but when you put that new um grip on my gun i mm-hmm. stated i want to keep that same trigger that i have because i feel like i'm used to that trigger
1: yeah yeah um yeah this so there are different trigger options um sv infinity has a popular trigger that has uh replaceable shoes that you can get in like a short medium or long length and they come in all different shapes you can get a a curved uh uh flat and they have like a what what do they call it like an enos curve or something that's like the top half of the trigger is flat and the bottom has a little curve on it just weird different shapes and stuff whatever fits your your hands and that one that's adjustable that i was mentioned earlier is an X line that um, you can get from Adam at Atlas custom Gunworks, works. Mm-hmm. And he also, they also come in a short medium long, but they, they do have a, a screw that the trigger shoes actually attached to and allows for a little bit of, of fine adjustment there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it makes a difference, um, depending on where your your trigger finger actually, you know, want, finds itself on the on the trigger, for for comfort and and for consistent trigger pull from shot to shot. Have it, you know, tuned to fit your hand.
0: Yeah, I think I think I might consider that one day, but when I do it, I'm gonna need like a lot of education on it because I never had a custom trigger before. Now, when I say custom trigger, I'm not talking flat curve or whatever, I'm talking lengthwise. Um, and like I said, that's just a new area of discovery for me.
1: Yeah, well, there's there's a you know, kind of a basic guideline, you know, kind of where you want your trigger finger to to actually be contacting the trigger itself and and you know, kind of a general suggestion of, of you know proper trigger finger placement but it's still uh you know you need to experiment with some different ones and just see what's feels best for you um you know it's mostly a matter of preference for the most part but it can you know if your trigger's way too short you can have too much of your finger in the trigger guard and you're you're kind of pulling the trigger with your middle uh joint of your finger and it's you know that can cause some some muzzle movement, some sight movement and stuff that's unnecessary and um hold on, the dog's uh, the dog's I think, talking.
0: Yeah, see so I think the dog <laughs> agreed with you on that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> one second. Yeah.
0: So um the other side of things of dealing with the trigger, and like you said, by being custom, I think it will mitigate movement as far as shooting distance, you know? Um
1: Yeah, it can but, definitely help. Yeah.
0: But like I said, I'm willing to experiment with it, but not right now, because I feel like I got too much learning to do with um, the gun now in its current state with the new hand grip. But after I get used to everything and probably later on in the summertime would be when I want to make that change.
1: Sure. Anytime I change any little thing, man, it takes it takes another week or two to get used to that simple little change. Mm -hmm. it's a it's a lot if you were to change everything all at once but when you're ready we'll try some different triggers
0: okay um now do you believe that just the curve being flat and whatever other designs they have for the trigger face really makes that big of a difference for shooting
1: I don't know I don't really think it makes a huge difference um I do prefer a flat trigger myself um and I don't know that it really makes a difference um yeah. i sometimes um, if I'm coming out of the holster in a hurry my grip will be slightly different um and my fing- my trigger finger placement might be slightly off up or down in the in the um, trigger guard a little bit mm-hmm and since I have a flat trigger, even if I'm a little high or a little bit low, I still get the same trigger pull for the most part because it's flat. I'm not I'm not pulling on a top of a curve or a bottom of a curve or something like that. Um, so I do kind of like that about the trigger, the flat trigger. But, you know, for one over the other, I, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference. Just for that one little scenario that I could kind of think of.
0: The only reason why I said that I had a conversation with somebody in the military when I was in the military and the argument was around a curve and a flat face. My answer was, I don't think it makes that big of a difference in performance of the gun. It makes more of a difference for being comfortable for you as the shooter. You know, it basically just preference. That's, all it really is
1: yeah um if you're if you have all the time you need to you know establish a a proper grip and you know sight picture and and everything i don't the trigger would make absolutely no difference at all i don't think
0: no i don't think so because if it goes bang and you pull all it is is you putting your finger placement wherever your placement is and pull it it's going to go bang it might not go bang to a comfort level until you get used to it, but after a while, you'll forget about it and you just do naturally what takes place.
1: Yeah, I do like the the flat trigger personally. Just you know, doing some strong hand, weak hand stuff, or just you know, if my grip is not you know exactly where it needs to be, my finger placement may be a little bit off, high or low, and and the flat trigger just kind of helps me, um, mm. you know, still maintain a decent trigger press.
0: I kind of like the curve a little bit more for the handgun. As far as a rifle, AR rifle or precision rifle, mm-hmm. I like it flat face.
1: Okay,
0: you know, and not to say like I can feel the trigger more on a handgun more than a rifle, but I'm more co- uh, conscious of what the rifle is doing with my finger on the trigger versus. A handgun you know i'm i feel like i'm focusing on something different with a handgun versus a rifle if that makes sense
1: yeah well they are very different there's a lot of different aspects to shooting a, a handgun yeah they're they're really difficult to shoot accurately and quickly
0: <laughs> yeah that's true very <laughs> true <laughs> which i'm finding that very true <laughs> all right so stage planning Mm-hmm. Is there any magical process that you go through with stage planning?
1: Uh, I don't know that it's magical, but <laughs> I, I just try to come up with a plan that allows me the most movement as possible. Now, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, let's see. The least number of stops possible. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'd like to if I can, if the stage will allow it, I'll shoot the whole thing on the move and I'll stop on the last target. Um, you know, that doesn't always work out that way, but that's that's one of the things I try to look for. Even if you have to break it up in the two or three sections, maybe I will can shoot this first section all on the move and then I have to stop for, you know, pick up a couple, you know, uh, moving targets or something that I don't need to be moving on. Or shooting on the move, or, or something like that. But my my goal with with open shooting is to never stop moving unless it's absolutely necessary. So I look for stage plans that kind of allow for that. And um, I don't know. That's a little different than I think maybe some of the production shooters or the low low capacity guys uh, might approach stage planning.
0: For me, it's I'm more concerned about the beginning and the end. What can I do at the beginning? But most importantly, how will I end it? And everything else in between, as of recently, is trying to be consecutive with it. And so I try to go without stopping, but if I have to stop, I will. I don't beat myself up about it. In that same breath, forest planning, I focus more on steps because. In the military, that's what it was I was big on as far as moving as a squad is your steps and everything is flowing as you're stepping. But okay. of course, when you're moving as a team, a fire team, your movements are slower compared to what we do in competition.
1: You yeah, know? you gotta be a little more in sync with each Correct. other, I imagine. Right. So
0: the outside of that is I'm still trying to break that military way of thinking when I go into my stage prep. Even though in my mind, I want to be fast. I want to be more accurate and very consistent with it. But my military mind keeps coming in. But even when you look at me, when I shoot a target, I'm always aiming for the upper chest area. And it's always going to be like an Alpha Charlie or Alpha Delta. Because for whatever it is, I'm always aiming in the area where the heart is, you know?
1: Well, I mean, that's not a bad spot at all to aim for our no. targets. Alpha Charlie and Major Power Factor is is great, I mean, most of the time.
0: Yeah, but I need that Alpha Alpha to keep up with Tom Powers or even Wally Burbage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't let every target go with a Charlie.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. but. Stage planning is one of the things I really plan on conquering this year, because even when I do stage planning, I'm very fortunate to have certain people around me to ask, how are you going to do this? Think about this before you do this, or look at this from this perspective before you go over there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some some different ways you can approach a stage, and some of it depends on your current skill level also. I think I mentioned that before. Um, right. I'm sometimes reluctant to help people um in lower classes, like with my stage plans, because they're not quite at the level of being able to shoot distance targets on the move as I am. And and you know, if I if I were to suggest that to them, it'd probably be a bad stage plan for them. Right. Um, just because they're not, you know, at that at that level of, of shooting yet. But um considering your strengths and your shooting. Um, Also, you know, needs to play into your stage plans individually.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's part of shooting that I find really interesting. On my Instagram page, I posted a video of me shooting a match, and I decided to go with the second way of doing it because every time I go to a, a stage I look at it and say, okay, you can run this this many ways and it can still be effective. The first way was literally run it. And it made it like a backwards U. And if you run it, it was going to be fast. But I figured, okay, if I can take these targets without, you know, running up across and then back, you'll be good. And I should have stuck with my original thought process.
1: What I saw that was the one of the stages at Mid Carolina last weekend. Correct. Yeah. I went back and forth on how to shoot out on myself. And I actually changed my stage plan like right before it was my time to shoot, which is a terrible idea most of the time. <laughs> right. But um yeah, I just that they had different options there, and it was a pretty cool stage because of that. I really like stages that give you options.
0: Yeah, and that's the challenging portion of it. I didn't beat myself up on it. It was more after looking at the video and looking at what I did. It then dawned on me I should have just ran it like I originally thought.
1: What was your original plan? I saw I saw that video how you shot it that time. Or the- okay, so my
0: original yeah my original plan was to you know grab the gun because it was an unloaded start. Right. Yeah. Pick the gun up, put a magazine in, insert it. But as I'm doing that, I'm moving. To the left. And now, as I'm running, I'm shooting the targets now on the left hand berm, all okay. the targets on the left hand berm, and then come around to the front side up until that one where I had like the two on the back berm. Yeah. Like that was in the middle. Execute my reload and now engage the other half and then do the same thing, but now going backwards versus running forward.
1: Okay. So you're just making one. Smooth U shape through there,
0: yeah. One big pass, okay. mm-hmm. but
1: you're gonna have to be running up range for the last three targets, I think. Three or four Correct. targets, okay. Correct. That was yeah. that was that was one thing that I decided not to do was run up range. So I ran around the left side real quick and I engaged the four targets. There were, I think, there were two double stacks, I don't remember now, but there were four targets on the left that I engaged real quick. And then I ran back around the barrels from where we started, reloaded there. And then I ran all the way down the rest of the the right um, targets, took everything on the right and then ran down the bottom, you know, the bottom end of the U shape and just cleared them all down at the end. So I didn't have to backtrack. I just kind of thought maybe I could engage those four targets. I was a little bit closer and I wouldn't have to backtrack. So I thought maybe I could get those a little quicker that way
0: now the way you ran it how you're describing it that was like the fourth way i was thinking about doing that but i didn't think it would be effective for me to engage those four targets to run back past the barrel (laughs) i I, I, like i said that was my fourth way of thinking well i obviously it was effective then
1: i justified it to myself because i was gonna have if if i took those four targets out there. I could reload to a big stick magazine Mm -hmm. while I was running around the barrel. So I was doing two things at once. I was, uh, my gun would be fully loaded at that point and I could finish the rest of the stage. Um, so that's how I justified it in my mind. Running around the barrels wasn't a complete waste because I was combining it with the reload that I needed anyway, somewhere in the stage. And those targets were, such that you didn't have to stop anywhere if if you're moving down the right side of the stage down to the bottom shape of the u there was always something that you could be engaging exactly. so it I, I never i couldn't find a good spot on the right side of that stage to reload anywhere that's really what made me change my mind about it and i don't know if it was the best i didn't go back and looking at the uh stage stages there i didn't know if, i didn't know if that was a stage win for me or not but
0: Yeah. So the first way for me was literally just run all the way around. The second way was the way that I've done it on video. The third way, it was like shoot some like about a halfway point, then cut across and engage everything to finish up those back ones. And then, um, like I said, the fourth way was to, as you said, go to the left side, engage those um, on the side, come back past the barrel and engage the whole right side to finish up where I finished up in my video.
1: So that was, which stage was that number? Do you remember? Was it three? Two. Two. That's was, yeah, bay two.
0: So, it was a fun stage. And like I said, the challenge of prepping for it and the decisions you have to make to get the best time and the more accurate shots, that's the, what drives and makes it more fun to me.
1: Yeah, There's a lot, a lot of stuff to think about um, Mm -hmm. with a stage like that. A lot of different ways to approach it. Um, It's interesting. That makes it an interesting stage. I really enjoy this kind of stages. Yes. So I did end up with a stage win on that one.
0: Yeah. And probably okay. if we was on the same squad after watching you run it, comparing my thoughts to how you ran it, I probably would have ran it the same way you described it.
1: it um, only really the only thing that really drove me to do that is because I couldn't find a good place for a reload. Once you're running down the right side of that stage and all the way down to the bottom, you can engage targets constantly. Right. And I didn't, I didn't want to break that up. I had enough ammo. You know, I didn't, there wasn't a forced reload in there. So that's just kind of what made me decide about to, to do that.
0: And the only reason why I decided in my thought process to even consider that because you're moving faster going forward, than you are moving backwards and shooting. Yeah that's, that's the, yeah, that's the only reason why I said it would make sense to come around the barrel. But when i think of the different ways i start categor um putting in a category you know first being the best and then fifth being the least and my fourth was <laughs> what you did <laughs> well, i got a stage I, win behind
1: it that's right? the, I, I wasn't decided on that until really right it was my turn to shoot and i was going up to uh, start my make ready right i'm like crap i don't this just seems like it's going to work better i don't want to change my plan right now But um, it it was only four targets that I was changing, and then then the rest of the plan that I already had was the same. So it wasn't too bad, and it seemed to work out.
0: Yeah. Like I said, it was fun, and I love stages like that. I love stages like that. Beat me up in the thought process. I feel like I'm accomplished, but it's also a major learning
1: point. That's a fun, uh, one of the things I like about our sport, that's a fun part of it for me, is going and looking at these stages and trying to figure out, the you know, the best way for me to shoot it. That, that's interesting. Yes. When, when the stages allow it. Some of them are kind of, I mean, you don't really have a choice. There's The stage is just set up to where there's really only one way to shoot it. But most, most of them around here, most of the uh, match directors do some pretty good stages and give you some options like that.
0: Yeah, like I said, that was probably my favorite stage that day at um, Mid Carolina. Now, you know, now talking about targets on competition. Okay. All right. So, this is something that bothers me to my heart because I honestly believe people are saying this. And they don't understand the harm they're actually doing by saying this. When you hear people talk about the targets and it's a no shoot. And then when they actually say, don't shoot the white guy, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so what are you really trying to say? You know, and I'm not trying to argue with nobody and I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. It's just the way you're wording it is somebody else's perception of how they absorb it.
1: Yeah, I I hear that a lot and I could totally see that. And um I don't like that either.
0: And I've spoke with a couple of match directors and asked them to put that in their brief beforehand to be considerate of others, you know, because that can be a deterrent from the sport. And
1: I'm sure it could, yeah. Yeah,
0: and an analogy is even when you sit there and you you listen to certain things. So, for instance, um, the presidential campaign, the last presidential campaign, when um President Trump was running, you know, make America great. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, you had a lot of people it was like, hold on, when was it ever great? <laughs> you know, because from the eyes of certain people, the challenges and struggles there's we're still dealing with from back in the 50s 30s 40s and 50s you know so that was their perception of what that slogan may mean compared to the people who actually put the slogan together it might have had a totally different meaning like you know let's make America great from this point we're going to make it great I don't know I didn't read into it but at the same time you know like when I hear people say that I start correcting people like when I hear it, like, okay, so why can't it be a target? You know, <laughs> I you um, get the crazy look.
1: I call it a penalty target is the way I refer to it. What would, what have you suggested to uh match directors? What kind of wording?
0: Just call have it you a suggested? target. Yeah. Just call it a target. You know what I'm saying? So if it's a no shoot, you call it a no shoot target. If it's a scoring target, it's a scoring target. You know, so whatever it is, is, it's going to be a target regardless. Yeah. So like even if you look at it, like, for instance, if if people put us together, me and you shoulder to shoulder. Okay, what's the difference? They're going to say one guy is tall, the other guy is shorter. Right. (laughs) Um, And then if you really break it down, okay, one guy has brown eyes, the other guy has blue eyes. Um, This guy wears shorts, whereas I never saw this guy in shorts. And then the ultimate thing is always going to be um, one is a black man. The other is a white man. You know what I'm saying? So even when you look at it from that standpoint, man and man, you know, black man, white man, that's distinctive amongst us as a society. But if we're going to do this sport and it's already a perception of, you know, how people shoot the sport and why people are shooting the sport, let's keep it neutral. It's just a target, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. It, yeah, you know,
0: race is one of those things that it's hard to talk about because you don't want to offend people and everything. And I do look at that as offensive, but it's not offensive to the point where it's like, I don't know, man, what are you trying to say? Like, let's go behind this tree, let's talk about this. Like, this. And I, <laughs> I'm not going to do nothing like that, but it was like Beverly. She even said that to me one time. Whereas, does that bother you? And my answer was, you know, if you don't know something, you just don't know. You can't call it ignorance because if you don't know, you don't know. And how many people never looked at it from that standpoint before?
1: I think it could definitely bother people. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know why it wouldn't, really. Yeah, but Uh, I I don't know that everyone really means it you know. Yeah,
0: and that's what I expressed to her, like, when we had that conversation. Yeah, because the target technically, when you look at it's supposed to represent a human torso. So, of course, if it represents a human torso, some people might call it the guy or the man, you know, whereas now it's just being hey, don't shoot the white guy. You know, But it's all a matter of perception and how you was raised and, you know, but I'm also a firm believer in if somebody brings it to your attention, now you have been educated. If you continue to do that after somebody brings it to your attention, now you're just doing that out of straight disrespect and ignorance.
1: Well, You you can't claim ignorance at that point anymore. That's just disrespect.
0: Yeah. That's true. Well, when I say ignorance, I'm saying it to the point of you're doing it on purpose to try to antagonize and make it out to be more than what it is. You know, like if I, if you blow cigarette smoke in my face and I say, I don't like it, and you do it, oh, now you're being ignorant. You're being just straight, disrespectful now. So now, you know what I'm saying? So that's that's how I'm wording it.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. It seems sometimes I've several of the the stories and stuff that you've told me you've dealt with. I don't even think about it anymore. Maybe it's just because I'm a white guy, Mm -hmm. but I just, I don't know. I had this unrealistic, maybe idealistic uh, opinion over the last 10 years or so. This stuff is just kind of, was was going away but apparently not i just don't notice it as much but i see it some now and um i don't want anything to do with it i don't want it at, at our club i don't want it you know anywhere around our sport
0: yeah and like i said though uh, people are people how they was bought up how they bought up but yeah. if we're all doing something we enjoy Let's all enjoy it for what it is, because that's going to bleed over to life. But if we all can't accept each other and live life in a country, whereas we understand the adversities of struggles, and if we can't get past that, what are we really saying about ourselves as as a people? Yeah, you know. So I don't think
1: for the most part, you know, our sports really great. Um, that we have international competitors from all over the world at, at um coming coming in these major matches a lot of them in Florida mm-hmm. um, and the atmosphere is great I don't ever really see that kind of stuff too much at um you know major matches where you have international competitors but right maybe it's I don't know Yeah, so it's up occasionally I guess
0: now the question is what can we do what will it take and where will it end, Tom? will tell.
1: I think we can uh, we can work on the stage briefs. Um, there's a, there's a, a distinction between a couple sports like uh, IDPA and USPSA. They have what what do they call them? Non-threat targets or something? What is that? What they call their IDPA calls their no-shoot targets. We call them no-shoots. They call them non-threats or something, which is just wording, but it's the same kind of thing. It's a penalty target, right. and that's what I always refer to them as, but maybe it's if we can reinforce proper wording, then that might just become a normal for our club, at least locally here.
0: Yeah. Well, my thing know. is I don't remember what IDP, because I haven't shot an IDPA match in a long time.
1: I haven't either. I don't remember all their terms, but it's different. It's something different, I think.
0: Right. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the GoFundMe campaign. We're on the final push to raise the second half of the $4,000 total goal, which right now we're up to $1,900. So we want to get that last $2,100. So we can put the remainder of these officers into jujitsu jitsu training for a year at no cost to them or their department. And if you find it in your heart, please visit GoFundMe.com forward slash LEO training. As of March 1st, the campaign is going to be discontinued until we decide to bring it back. But we need a final push. So if we don't make it by March 1st. Whatever we have, we're going to make an arrangement with the gym to get in. Whatever we can get in, far as an agreement with the gym and the officers. So, but you have anything else you want to put out there to the good people? Because you got a match at your club next weekend.
1: Yes, and the last match was a muddy mess, and it ended up canceling it. But we have some rock that has come in since then. Um, it's been spread out on the the major walkway areas. Some is out actually into the the bays a little, where most of the foot traffic will be. Excuse me, but um we're gonna do it again, end of this month, fourth fourth Saturday, and um come on out, shoot with us. We should have much cleaner bays this time.
0: Yeah. So like I said, if anything, I'm gonna be out there and I'm gonna um I'm gonna help you set up next weekend, of course. Thanks. Hey, no problem. No problem. I find it fun because during the setup process, it opens up a ton of questions for me, and I'm asking those questions to try to get better at what I'm doing overall.
1: Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely some uh some strategy to uh designing a stage and how you have your your props and everything set up.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so Um, I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to go ahead and um, let the sponsors say what they want to say. And please visit the sponsors. And and we encourage you to support them because they support us. So here's the words from our sponsors. And stay tuned for the rest of the M-W Tactical Podcast. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical.
2: Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be. Come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself
4: Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially with still carry.
3: The Gun Cleaners.
4: Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there.
3: The Gun Cleaners.
4: And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there.
3: Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com
0: Hello everyone, this is Michael Woodland from m-wtactical.com and co-host of the Black Man with the Gun podcast. We are reaching out to ask everyone that is in earshot to help us raise money to put four law enforcement officers in jujitsu training for a year. We are looking to raise the money two ways. First, if you live in the state of South Carolina and want to get your concealed weapons permit, the instructor fee will go towards the campaign. The second way is you can donate $50 to gofundme.com forward slash LEO training. The goal is to raise $4,000. Again, we are looking to get 80 people to help contribute $50 to put four law enforcement officers through jujitsu training for a year. This act will be presented in the name of the 2A community. Now we're going to go ahead and jump into a little bit of word on the shirt word on word on the We encourage everyone to go out and do some training with your firearm and just get familiar with and what you feel you need to get better to work on. For those of us who are in the competition, please share the information of your club or shooting event in your area so we can share the message. This Saturday, if you are in the South Carolina area, registration is open for those who are interested in doing some USPSA action in Augusta, Georgia. Head on over to Practice Score and look up CSRA, then sign up and have fun doing some shooting USPSA style. If you would like for me and the crew to come out and shoot a USPSA match with you, email us at info at m-wtactical.com and let's plan it out. Just heard that Battle at the Beach is sold out, but if you are interested and still on the fence for signing up for Battle at the Beach, contact the match director, Mike Fritz, and see what he is willing to work out for you. The following are the current sponsors for Battle at the Beach. Red Hill Tactical, Red Stitch Targets, The Blue Bullets, Akai Custom Firearms, Hunters HD Gold, Outdoor Dynamics, Lucky Shot Firearms, Dunham Smithing, Law Offices of McLeod Ruffner, Premier Hearing Protection, Shooters Connection, Lead Star Arms, Safari Land, Springfield Armory, Competition Electronic, Hornady, Mad Marlin Guns, Lock Grips, Techware. Still, target paint, Mark Prickett target stands, and Midway USA, with more being added. Visit www.lowcountryuspsa.com for more information. We are at the halfway mark for meeting the goal of putting some law enforcement officers into jujitsu training. The goal is four thousand dollars, and we are asking everyone in earshot to help us meet this goal by one March. Visit GoFundMe.com forward slash LEO training. When you donate, there will be an acknowledgement on social media thanking you for your contribution. Please share the campaign on your social media outlets to help us meet this goal. Again, visit GoFundMe.com forward slash LEO training and help us get to that $4,000 goal. But understand, we are halfway there now. Visit GoFundMe.com forward slash LAO Training. Kevin Dixie is hosting his second annual Teach and Learn event. It's a three day event taking place on Memorial Day weekend 22 through 24 May in Leadington, Missouri for those who are looking to become more involved in the shooting industry in some way. For those interested you can sign up by going to eventbrite.com and searching NOC second annual train and learn event.
3: The Gun Cleaners
4: Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Your lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially concealed carry.
3: The Gun Cleaners
4: Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there.
3: The Gun Cleaners
4: And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another, and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there.
3: Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com.
2: Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be, come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself.
0: What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical podcast. Please go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. This week, we're going to have a discussion with Linda Chico, the Vice President of Mid-Carolina Rifle Club here in Columbia, South Carolina. Her dedication to the sport is worthy of recognition in regards to ensuring that patrons of the sport have a safe environment to do what we love within the USPSA. Check out this conversation with Linda. All right, good people, we're back with the M-W Tactical Podcast, and I have somebody who I really look up to within the shooting community. It is a female. She is a match director. And because of her, it has driven my interest to assist with putting the stages together for weekly matches that I can get to. It also furthered my interest into doing uh, stage designs that I'm currently working on. And... After talking with her and just understanding how she thinks and how she works, it has driven me to give more community service within the sport of shooting. So without further ado, I would like to welcome everybody to the conversation of Linda Chico of Mid Carolina Rifle Club. How are you doing today, Ms. Linda?
5: Oh, I'm doing pretty good, thank you.
0: All right. So giving a little backstory about you, OK, um, you are the vice president of mid Carolina Rifle Club and you are a match director for the mid Carolina Rifle Club under USPSA. So could you tell the people a little bit more about who is Linda Chico?
5: Um, I was not involved in the shooting sports until I turned about 30 years old. Uh, I had always been a shooter. In fact, um, my father was in the military, and I learned how to shoot at the Rod and Gun Club in Italy. In uh, Livorno, Italy, there used to be a camp there called Camp Darby, and that's where I fired my first shotgun. And I enjoyed shooting, but I didn't really shoot in competition until after I married my husband. He was a former Marine and very involved in shooting competition, and he kept taking me to these uspsa matches mm-hmm. and i didn't want to shoot in competition i would either shoot before or after the match you know shoot the plate rack do that kind of thing and um or i'd take a book and sit in the shade and read and after he was done shooting we'd go get some nice meal somewhere but then i got up and i would start helping with the stage i would help pace the targets um guys would be, you know, with the scoring, they, you know, write down these numbers, write down this time, write down these numbers. At the time we used paper scoring. And so I got involved with helping on the stage and I got to meet the people. And I guess the things that I was afraid of in a competition that that people would laugh at me because I wasn't very good Mm -hmm. or because I was new and asking stupid questions. I met the people and they were all so very nice that i just realized that wasn't going to happen and all of them kept going well you need to join us you need to shoot you need to uh you know come uh, next month we're having a match down in charleston it's there by the coast and my husband goes and we could throw in a seafood dinner (laughs) (laughs) and i went well yeah this is beginning to sound pretty good Mm -hmm. so i i started shooting a little bit with the group and and just dived in with both feet
0: That's it right there. Like I said, everybody has an interesting story about how they actually started shooting within USPSA. It's something beautiful, in my opinion. All right. So now let me ask you this one What interests you about shooting USPSA? Well, let me rephrase that. What interests you about USPSA, considering you don't shoot USPSA right now?
5: when i first started shooting uspsa what i enjoyed is the fact that we do design our own stages at the time before that my shooting um either on army bases at the rod and gun club or even on private ranges was a lot like a lot of other people's where you stood under a covered line and you had a target at a known distance and it was static and you just shot at the target there was It was the same match every time you went, every time you go to, at the time they called them 2700, I think they call them precision pistol now, but every time you went to the match, it was the exact same targets in the exact same place and the same number of rounds fired. And I could have told you what it was going to be like a week beforehand. And when I first saw USPSA match, well, first of all, the shooters were moving around. That was a, a new thing. Never occurred to me to try and walk and shoot at the same time. Uh, But also it was different everywhere. USPSA matches have a flavor. They they reflect the match director. So you go to uh, shoot at low country and you have Nero's stages that he designs where he likes lots of windows and ports that you shoot through. And you come to mid Carolina and Mike likes to make you walk backwards or side to side. Um, he, he never has a big wide open shooting area. It's really a narrow spot, but you either go from one end of the bay to the other or you back up. He, he likes that kind of thing. And then Derek likes to make things where you do do a bit more movement forward, but he wants targets that are high, targets that are low, um, some targets that are hidden behind others partially so that you have to think a little bit more and slow down and aim. So every every match you go to, you can tell, if you go go to Spartanburg, you're gonna find that Eddie designs different stages and uses different kinds of props than we do at Mid-Carolina. And I, I like that. I like the creativity. I like the fact that um, when you go to a match, you you might see the paper stages on the internet before you go, but until you're actually standing there on the stage, you don't have a real feel for it until you can see it. Because, and that's that's what I really like. It's, it's, it's always different. When I was shooting USPSA, um, I got all the way up to D, <laughs> D class. <laughs> and actually I was knocking on the door of C class for a little bit, but because I was a nurse, I didn't put any, I didn't have practice time. I just had match time. I would show up on the weekends and shoot a match and enjoy the people. Um, About five years ago, I developed um, arthritis in my shoulders. And um, eventually I will have that also in my hips. It's something that runs in my family. My mother had it um, before she passed away. And it makes certain kinds of movements very difficult for me because it's both of my shoulders holding my arms up the first thing that went was being able to shoot long guns because of resting the butt of the gun, of a long gun, a rifle, or um, a shotgun against my shoulder and keeping my arms up for the entire match. It got, I was so sore the week afterwards that I had trouble bringing my hands up high enough to like shampoo my hair. Oh, wow. And, um, so obviously that had to go, but I was still shooting a little bit of pistol, a lot of pistol only matches and especially shooting like steel challenge with a 22 because there's not as much of a kick. It's a lighter gun all around. It's just easier, easier on both my shoulders. Um, now I could probably shoot a local steel challenge match, but I don't know that I would go to a, uh, an eight stage steel challenge match, you know, where you have to shoot the whole thing. Right. So I just don't know that I could do that. And um, as I get older, it's just occurred to me that I have to take care of my health. <laughs> but I have been working so long with people on USPSA and I enjoy the game so much that I can still participate by helping set up stages, by seeing all my friends on you know on a weekly basis. I was at the range today for the Steel Challenge match. Last weekend I was there for the USPSA match and next weekend I'm going to go help them set up an IDPA match. So it's something I can do that keeps me active. And even if I can't actually shoot the stages, I can walk the stages. Years of looking at stages Mm -hmm. and trying to set them up in a safe manner has kind of given me an eye for that so that I can go walk through the stages when you're done with one and say, oh, that target's a little low. We might want to move that higher so that we're not, you know, putting rounds into the ground or this one's too high. If somebody's kneeling down through a low port and you have a target that's too high, there's also a potential for, for winging one out of the range. So it's just little things I've learned to look at over the years and, and I enjoy doing it.
0: Since you don't shoot and you do contribute a lot with the local match here in columbia south carolina but you also participate in level two matches also because i remember one day we was talking i want to say you said it was a level two match you go to every year and you help out with that
5: i was doing the alabama match every year i also worked the south carolina match uh for a long time i worked doing stats i was the Mm -hmm. chief statistician um one or two times they talked me into match director. I hate, absolutely hate being match director of level two and level threes. Um, <laughs> I, I was the match director of a level three and I've been a match director of some IPSC, which is the international version of USPSA. It's right. the, the, the kind of the parent organization. Um, I've been a match director of what they call um, a level like a level four, which is like a hemisphere match. It's the Pan-American, it was North and South America. And so, um, and I, I, I do okay with those because I'm a detailed person and I, you know, I'll make sure all the little boxes get checked. I just don't like it as much as working on the local level. Um, but I will be at the South Carolina section match uh, working with them this year. Last year I had to miss it because I had a niece who was getting married. I wasn't at it, but I was at the ones they did in Charleston. I worked, I worked a stage. Um, I was a CRO for um, with USPSA since 1997, I think. was is when I got, took the C. I I was RO for a while first and then CRO. Um, there was a six year lapse in my shooting even when I was active with it when my husband got ill with leukemia and, um, I let my CRO lapse and I had, when I had to retake it because it had been so long, I had to go through the whole course again, Mm
3: -hmm.
5: which, um, which was interesting (laughs) when you've been away from it for a while. But, um, I, I, I wanted to get restarted with it. So that was good.
0: Now, another thing that really impressed me that you've done, and I've never seen or heard of a match director doing this, whereas um, Lucky had arranged an RO class in Charleston, and everybody that comes to the USPSA match regularly that helps set up at North carolina you paid for their way to take this course. Yes. Yeah, so what was your and drive to even make that happen?
5: I strongly think that everyone who shoots USPSA should take an RO course. I'm talking about even the very most casual shooter who never plans to go to the state match, who never plans to go to a different club. I think it does two things for you. One, it makes you better able to help if we need you and everybody should be helping. But if you decide you don't want to ever take a timer and run a shooter, I think having an entire weekend long class that is grounded in the rules, that is grounded in the safety rules and the scoring rules and fairness and the other things like that about our sport is something that if you're, if you're shooting it more than a year, you should be looking around for an RO class. I just think that's something that, that should happen. Um, there are a lot of clubs where that's pretty close to the, the deal. If you talk to most of those people from Augusta, they've all been to RO classes. It's a big push down there. Um, you get other places where it's like five people at our club who are the ROs and have been the ROs. And that's just the way it is. And I just think it should be for everybody. And I particularly wanted setup is so important. Having the people who come for setup, not only do they learn about the stages, like like learning why a stage is set up. Um, people who don't realize about shoot throughs, they don't think about it as a shooter until they're actually trying to set up a stage, and somebody goes, "Oh no, you can't put that target there." Look, if I stand right here, that's a shoot through. Um, so having having going to the RO class. I think makes people more aware of those kind of things that, you know, targets are impenetrable and you, you can't, you can't stack one in front of another and somebody right. will hit both and why we're doing things like taping or painting the barrels. If the barrels are being used as a vision barrier and somebody drilled around through it. So going to the class helps with that. It's, it's compared to say high power rifle, or precision pistol or a lot of other sports we have a fairly long rule book and i don't think the casual if you sign up for USPSA i've met very few people who read through the rule book to, to like from beginning to end until they go to the class mm
0: mm-hmm.
5: You know you read the parts you need
0: <laughs> right, right exactly
5: <laughs> what, what division am i shooting okay that's what i need to look up and and uh let's see i'm buying a new gun belt let me look at the rules and see if this one will work uh that's the way most people go about the rule book and then when they get hit with a procedural or a penalty they'll go look it up real quick hmm. um but i i don't think it's just not not easy reading and i think having a formal class to go through is a help right
0: Yeah, and like I said, everybody who went through the class, it was enjoyable this time around because it was Derek's uncle who actually taught the class. And that was my second time going to the class. And I was just sitting in, and I was like, this is just going to be a refresher for me so I can you know, just get follow-on information. But I felt like I learned a lot more the second time by going versus the first time I went.
5: Once upon a time when I was in the, like, Middle 90s, we used to have an a R.O. class at Mid-Carolina every single year. And the area director at the time was a gentleman uh, named John Hurst. John was from Florida. He came up every, he was an R.O. instructor. He would come up and teach the class for us. We did one 12 years in a row. Oh, wow. On uh, the 12th year, <laughs> this mm-hmm. was starting in 1992 and mm-hmm. continuing every year after that. Um, one of those years, it was not a level one class, it was a level two. We alter, we know, we stuck stuck a level two in the middle there. Um, as a matter of fact, that level two was in 97 because that's when me and Julie, uh, my husband, uh, Tom Thompson, Julie's late, late husband, a lot of us took that course at the same time. You know, there's a bunch of us I remember who were in that level two class with me. But um, the having that every year, when the class was being held, I would sit in the back because I was the one who was making sure that uh, the coffee was being filled up and there were pastries there for breakfast. And when they broke for lunch, people knew where to, you know, where we were all going for lunch and that kind of thing. So I sat in on that class literally every year. I may have been the best educated level one RO on the planet for a while. (laughs)
0: That's what it is. Now, something else you do that's special. Is the Toys for Tots charity shoot that you do every November. Would you like to talk a little bit more in detail about that?
5: Well, I'm gonna have to start by admitting that the original credit for Toys for Tots has to go to Jack Sugar. Oh, it, was, okay. it was his idea to have a action charity. He didn't call it USPSA. He called it action shooting match at the time because right. What he was trying to do was get publicity. He he tried to get the television station out to, to film us. And the first few years that we did it, he assumed that because we were going to be on television for like 12 seconds, you know how they do a brief little blurb about a charity event anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, we, we were only using the IPSC targets, the headless targets, because he didn't want anybody screaming about we're shooting at people, you know, kind right. of thing. So, um, but he is the one who made the original contact with the Marines and got that done. Well, after the second year that we did it, we had Hurricane Katrina. Hmm. And Jack worked for HUD and was sent along with a lot of other federal employees and a lot of um, reservists, et cetera, from the area. They were all sent to um, New Orleans area to, to work there. He was working with the temporary housing through fema and that kind of thing for people right right. so he wasn't there to do toys for tots and my husband was a former marine and he goes well i hate to not do it this year because of that why don't you pick it up and do it so that's what we did we i started working so basically the original uh ones were jack Suber events and even when he came back at the years later after that he designed a lot of our stages. You know what I mean? He did a lot of the stage design for us. Um, but I was the one who was the big push for carrying on with Toys for Tots because I wanted to, we, we became very comfortable working with the Marines. Mm-hmm. And other disciplines at Mid-Carolina started chipping in. We started getting like six, $700 from the high power shooters. They would hold a, a match and, and donate uh, what they picked up we would have people um, from the IDPA. We get close to a thousand dollars worth of donations and toys from IDPA every year. The Cowboys started donating. So I literally spend the entire month of November going to everybody's match and filling up the back of my little, little uh, SUV with uh, toys to run out to the Marine Corps.
4: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome though. Overall. Um,
5: oh, I, I have to brag real quick this year. Our club alone donated five thousand. I just got the final tally: five thousand four hundred and fifty dollars in cash and checks to the Marine Corps locally, and and also the equivalent of two minivans full of toys. Wow, that's
0: that's a great feat, and congratulations on reaching that. Thank Man. you. We
5: were, we were very happy. We, the, the Marine Corps says that we are their largest donor, definitely in terms of money, and mm-hmm. we are second in terms of the amount of toys we donate. The people who donate more toys uh, are the Abate Motorcycle Group. Right. They poker run for, for Toys for Tots, mm-hmm. and they collect more toys. And we're second for toys and first in money.
0: Wow. that's yeah. Like I said, that is a huge feat. But now, do you think you're going to make more this year, both toys and money?
5: More, We've made more every year. <laughs>
0: nice. nice. Uh, that's Like I said, that is something to be proud of right there.
5: Next year, we're pushing special because next year is our 20th anniversary.
0: Oh, nice. Next
5: so, year's 20th year, we'll be doing this.
0: So is anything special being planned?
5: Um, as usual, it's a two-day event. Some of the things we've done in the past is um, we have an opening ceremony where I, I usually play the national anthem, and we have a marine, um, a, a veteran, bring the flag down, and we do a flag raising ceremony. I mm-hmm. was uh, talking with the marines about seeing if they would do like a color guard to come down the hill for us. Right. Um, I in the past, Jack has been able to was able one year to borrow. Uh, World War II vintage Jeep that he brought to the range. Because see, it's also veterans. It's also, um, not veterans, um, yeah, Veterans Day weekend. So right. we'll try and do a combination of things that have to do with the Marine Corps and do with our veterans. And so, like I said, I may go through the uh, museum and talk to somebody out at Fort Jackson because they've got a good military museum out there right. and see what I can have them showcase or what I can borrow.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, this would be interesting right here. I'm interested and excited at the same time.
5: <laughs> oh, this next year, I've, I've already started taking pictures. I try to get a food truck out there. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that once upon a time, food trucks just went to job sites and stuff like that. Now they're a big thing. They park downtown right, um, next to parks on the weekend and stuff like that, or ball fields where they're having, having tournaments and things. Mm-hmm. And I have a really hard time getting one out for a crowd of only about a hundred people. Cause you know, on any given, any of the two given days, that's what we're talking about. It's about a hundred people. Right. So, um, but anyway, I've started taking pictures of food trucks with their phone numbers on the side and I'm going to be calling them to see if I can get a food truck out there next year.
0: Now um, how can the people contact, follow, subscribe, you know, anything within USPSA, the gun club, or just contacting you for questions?
5: Okay. Um, first of all, if anybody goes to midcarolinarifleclub.com, uh, it's all like one long run on word, Mid Carolina Rifle Club. But if you go there, there's a little uh, thing that says contact us. It's a little form you fill out where it says, give me your email and your phone number and asks you to um Free, freely write a question. Most of the questions I get are like, how do I get on your email list for USPSA? Or can you tell me how much it costs to shoot the USPSA match? And those questions come directly to me. Um, I check my computer several times a day to see if I've gotten any new questions. And I reply within 24 hours on all of them. So that's the quickest way. Um, also, um, my email address, which is published darn nearly everywhere, but is El Chico, like my first initial and my last name at sc.rr.com. And people are more than welcome to contact me through that. And um, I'll get back to them with information about the match. Um, One of the things I get a lot of questions about is how young a junior can be to start shooting. They want to bring a child with them. Um, They have a child should be, Uh, old enough and um, comfortable with shooting a center fire pistol. That's kind of a minimum requirement for um, USPSA. We have a sister discipline called steel challenge, where if you'd prefer, you can start your child off with a 22 pistol or rifle, but for USPSA, it has to be center fire pistol and, or a um, pistol caliber carbine. But in any case, we're talking about nine millimeter being the minimum caliber you could use if a child is old enough to safely shoot that and old enough to obey the safety rules that's the old enough to shoot uspsa
2: that's it
0: right there like i said for me it's a lot of fun i really do enjoy it and i try to encourage everybody to go shoot a uspsa idpa steel challenge whatever they can go shoot go shoot it
5: oh yeah i i like said i steel challenge for me is, is interesting because you can shoot it so many different ways. Um, you can shoot it with a rimfire pistol. You can shoot it with a rimfire rifle, with optics or without. You can shoot it with a pistol caliber carbine. Uh, you'll see, because it's a five rounds at a time, it doesn't matter if you've got a six-shot revolver and you're shooting against some guy who has a... Um, uh, a Glock nine millimeter. You know, it, it 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 doesn't matter if he's got you know room in his magazine for for thirteen rounds, and you've only got a six shot revolver because every stage is five five strings. You're shooting five rounds per string on those stages, so it's it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And you, there's no A's, B's, and C's. You hit the steel or you didn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's it right there. All right. So once again, um, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for all your contributions to keeping the sport of uspsa open in the city of columbia and i appreciate what you're doing overall and thank you for the assistance and directions that you you pointed me in as far as shooting within uspsa
5: you're welcome i like said bring bring friends
0: of course. Of course. <laughs> so once again,
5: you've been bringing friends and family, so you got it all covered.
0: Hey, that's it right there. <laughs> so once again, this is Linda Chico, the vice president of out of Mid Carolina Rifle Club, who is also the match director for the USPSA in Columbia, South Carolina. So once again, thank you, Miss Linda, for coming on to the M W Tactical Podcast, and I will be seeing you shortly.
5: Okay, thanks.
0: What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical podcast. Please go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical.
2: Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've ever tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be, come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself.
4: Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially with still carry.
3: The gun cleaners.
4: Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there.
3: The gun cleaners.
4: And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there
3: order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com
0: thank you for taking the time to hang out with us on the m-w tactical podcast remember a new podcast comes out every tuesday if you cannot wait for tuesday go and listen to past episodes to catch up on what you missed make sure you visit www.m-wtactical.com and see what all is offered on the site where you can't even purchase M-W Tactical Apparel. But please go to our Facebook and Instagram page and follow us on our journey in the sport of competition shooting and the realm of the 2A community. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun.